October 17, 1859, at 11 o'clock in the morning, and Danforth Balch is hanging by his neck until dead in downtown Portland. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. We profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Just the good stuff. Today, we provide another episode in the series with the hanging of Danford Balch. Originally from Massachusetts, Balch came to the Portland area in October of 1850 and homesteaded in the Willamette Heights. You and I know this area today as McClay Park, or also as a part of Forest Park. But his 345-acre donation land claim was not just the park, but all of the then forested land that in those days stretched towards the river. In today's geography, Balch owned everything to Northwest 23rd Avenue and from roughly Lovejoy to Thurman Streets, some extremely valuable real estate in our era. But at that time, Portland was not much more than a bloated village along the river, and Balch's donation claim was certainly isolated and on the periphery of that community. His land was rugged and timbered, and he, his wife Mary Jane, and their nine children lived in a hand-hewn log cabin in what is today's park. A quick note, the stone house in Forest Park is not the Danford home, as some urban legends have attributed it. This building was a WPA project in the 1930s, and though it is commonly referred today as the Witch's Castle, it is nothing to do with witches, and certainly would be humble as a castle. ORhistory.com's Asian correspondent, Ralph Jennings, wrote a piece on the Witch's Castle, which I encourage you to find on our website. So, Danford Balch worked his claim, and tended to his nine children, and he drank. Intoxicating drinks, as they are referred to at the time, and apparently, Danford Balch was quite fond of the spiritous liquors, and good at consuming them. A nearby claim was worked by the Stump family, and seemingly the Stumps and the Balches did not get along too well. The Montagues and Capulets of their time, one of the sons, the horrifically named Mortimer Stump, described in a news article as being of ordinary character, took a liking to Balch's 15-year-old daughter, Anna. Despite the general dislike of the two families, Balch hired Mortimer to help around the place. As young people are wont to do, Mortimer and Anna fell in love and Mortimer soon asked Danford's permission to marry Anna following what a San Francisco paper labeled the usages of the country, yet again demonstrating just how weird Portland always has been. Old man Balch steadfastly refused this union to commence, and furthermore, it was reported that he told Mortimer Stump that anyone marrying his daughter without his explicit permission would be shot. Well, fellow ass-kicker, I have a feeling you know where this story is going to go. The two young lovers eloped, 
And as there was a degenerate stigma and nefarious association with this union, they did what untoward folks do even to this day. They moved from Portland to Vancouver, Washington. Home of shameful Oregonians. Anna Balch became Anna Stump and eternally avoided the chance for a surname upgrade. Danford describes the scene and his feelings. The night I came home and found the girl gone, it struck a pain in my heart like a knife cutting me. I ate a little supper and went to bed, but did not sleep a wink all night. In the morning, at once after getting up, I started for town, and it seemed as if my stomach would burst from anxiety and grief, which were more than I can express. It kept growing worse and worse on me. For a long time, I don't think I slept an hour a night. Danforth Balch also drank, and drank, and drank. Until one day in November 1858, when Balch was standing by the door of Starr's Tin Shop, he saw the stumps had come to town for supplies. Again, in Balch's own words. Ad Stump and then the old man and afterwards Mortimer Stump came up. When he saw me, the old man commenced growling or muttering at me and wanted to know what I had against him. I told him I had nothing against him. He said I should not talk to him that way. He cursed a good deal and said I was making a great fuss about my child, that she was an ordinary little bitch. And he did not know what the hell I wanted from her. There was more said. I do not recollect saying another word. After that, my gun standing at my left hand, I took it up and started for the boat. By the boat, Danforth Balch was referring to the Stark Street Ferry. As no bridges spanned the Willamette until 1887, the ferry was the main way to get across the river until its popularity waned in 1895. Danforth walked down onto the Stark Street Ferry, where in addition to the stumps and a wagon team, he saw his daughter Anna for the first time since the elopement. Balch got into quite a confrontation with the stumps, and again in his own words, The gun went off. How? I cannot tell. I had the gun lying across my left arm. As the gun went off, I felt the jar. I have no recollection of hearing the report of the gun. My first thought of feeling the jar was that young Stump had a hold of the gun, but on turning my head, I discovered the smoke, which was the first I knew the gun had discharged. The next I saw was Stump, lying on the boat, shot. Mortimer Stump lied dead on the Stark Street ferry, his blood flowing freely from his face and neck wounds inflicted by two barrels of buckshot. Turning around, the ferryman came up to Balch and simply stated, I do not allow such work here. Balch was quickly and quite roughly apprehended and taken to Portland's slapdash jail. Probably the first three or four nights in jail I slept not at all. After being in jail for three or four days, I was taken by colic and flux which greatly reduced me. From the time the girl was married until I had been in jail several days, I recollect very little that happened. 
all seemed more like a dream than a reality. I have felt hard towards many for their treatment of me, but I have, in a measure, got over that. I suppose I ought not to cherish such feelings, but there is a sense of injury as to the cause of my present difficulty, of which I cannot divest myself. I am not able, because I have not sufficient liberty of mind to tell what that injury was. The jail in Portland was indeed a shoddy, poorly constructed affair. In fact, Danforth Balch and three other inmates escaped a few months after his incarceration. He escaped too and lived on his donation land claim, right up there in Forest Park, with his family bringing him food to his secret sanctuary. Eventually, Balch was caught, but the affair kept the interest of Portlanders, and even the San Francisco media kept its readers updated on the progress of the fugitive hunt. He was tried in August of 1859 and found guilty after a four-day trial. Danforth Balch was hanged on October 17, 1859, on a quickly constructed scaffold at Front and Salmon Street on a dreary, typically Portland rainy day. In a town of about 2,500 people, about 600 attended the public hanging. It has been called the first legal public hanging in Oregon. A Multnomah County census from 1860 described the hanging as, quote, very sudden. Dr. Loria from the Hawthorne Insane Asylum was the official who declared Balch dead. Balch's daughter, Anna, was present in the crowd. That's right. Along with the rest of the Stump family, she came to see her father being hanged. The Oregonian writer present was aghast and penned that the idea of a daughter by her own volition attending the execution of a father up upon the gallows is a disgrace to the intelligence of the age and to every principle of filial affection manifested or exhibited by every species of the brute creation in sea or upon the earth. This fact is of a character that we cannot pass unnoticed and must meet with the surprise, reprobation, and detestation of the whole community. Unsubtle as always, the Oregonian even then was happy to tell us who was moral and who was not. Danforth Balch's widow, Mary Jane, remarried and sold off some of the land which Balch had intended as an inheritance for his children. The land changed hands several times and was eventually parceled off. The creek that runs through the park, named appropriately Balch Creek, was a significant source for city water until the 1880s. Eventually, a good chunk of the land ended up in the ownership of Portland businessman and Scotsman Donald McClay. In 1897, bitching about those goddamn property taxes, he said he would rather give the land to the city than pay the hefty fee. And he did just that. One of McClay's conditions of the gift was that, quote, the city shall provide conveyance for carrying patients from the area hospitals through the park during the summer hence the wide paths that provide a cool respite on a hot summer day.
Strangely, the death of Mortimer Stump at the hands of Danforth Balch proved a boon for the people of Portland. Historian Doug Kent Crispin. I like to think of Danford as Old Man Balch. Not that anyone ever called him that, as far as we at Oregon history can tell. Danford Balch wasn't that old, first of all. He was only 47 when he was hanged. But the title, Old Man Balch, sounds so literary, so apropos. It resonates just right for our tale today. The name seems a natural fit, and it just rolls off the tongue. It also conveys a bit of respect for the story, and indeed the legacy, that the man left to the city, and to be frank, it is a complicated heritage. On one hand, old man Balch left us with a murderous, drunken legacy, which is correctly what Danford Balch bestowed on Portland. But on the other, without his existence on our city's census ledger, perhaps we wouldn't be endowed with the beautiful civic, public space that is part of Forest Park. For this alone, we need to honor the murderer Balch and enshrine the respect he deserves for the germination of this public act. We hope, dear ass kicker, that you will allow us this poetic transgression when we refer to the man as Old Man Balch. It is a heart-rending tale, the stuff of Hollywood productions, but with an 82nd Avenue Walmart sleaze weaved through the tale, a father abandoned by his daughter, driven to spiritus liquors in his devastation and despair, a young man, full of all the promise of youth and opportunity in this bountiful land, lay dying in a pool of his own blood on the deck of the Stark Street Ferry. One of the things that strikes me about this story is how often it is rehashed in the accounts of the early city. The web has several pages featuring this story. The Oregonian has printed versions of it many times, of course. During the incident, it was almost tabloid-worthy in what was then termed the Weekly Oregonian. The story lived on, and in 1938 and 1961, the daily version of the paper ran stories on Danford Balch, and even the Oregon Historical Quarterly has looked at it a bit. Some even say that Balch and Stump ghosts fight at night at the Witch's Castle, to this very day. But why so much print for this story? And why are we looking at it at over 150 years later? Well, first of all, it is a kick-ass story. Second of all, this is a tragic tale, a pitiful tragedy, as a 1928 article penned it. But one connected to an iconic destination in Portland. You can go and actually walk Balch's land, seeing what he saw, imagining him hiding in these woods, heartbroken, hungry, wet and scared and i'm certain that every time you visit forest park from here on out old man balch's story will pop out at you and indeed we hope it does Thanks for listening, Ass Kickers, and be on the lookout for future podcasts by our crew. We hope that you agree this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast on Dan Ford Balch was brought to you by Oregon History, written by Doug Hank Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available upon request. 
You can check out our website at orhistory.com or follow us on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Our email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. say old man Balch was hung I apparently it's grammatically incorrect but I mean I want to say it somewhere old man Balch was hung